What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to episode 28 of the Clip City podcast on Blue Wire. I am your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. I apologize for the delay in podcasting. I have not podcasted since August 20th, which has been about, I guess, almost three weeks. Uh, I was on vacation in Europe with friends. That was my first vacation in four years, so it was kind of nice to just disconnect, unwind, and detach from society from social media from the nba uh to a a little extent uh but look it's been a it's been a few weeks and i I know you guys have been emailing have been tweeting at me when am i going to be uh podcasting again so i am back but at the same time there is some bittersweet news uh, a little more bitter than than sweet but uh, this is going to be my last podcast for blue wire uh, as of the beginning of October, I will be podcasting for The Athletic. The Athletic uh, you know, launches podcast network in April and is expanding to the NBA for the 2019-2020 season. And it's not going to be every team that ha- uh, having a podcast, but uh, it's going to be about half, I think about 12 to 15 teams with podcasts. And the Clippers are going to be one of them because they are you know, depending on the sports book, the championship favorites, they are at least in that conversation of, of top five, top three teams in the league. There's a lot of interest league-wide and in Los Angeles uh, surrounding the Clippers. So they are in it team and, and the athletic is prioritizing that. And because of that, uh, you know, because of my, uh, you know, con- contractual obligations and, and just kind of, you know, being an employee of the company, uh, it, it just, you know, we talked about it and it makes the most sense for me to move my podcast over there and, and to represent the athletic, um, you know, with, with a Clippers podcast. So clip city will be moving to the athletic and, uh, you know, as will the, the logo, the name, um, that, that is the plan right now. And, you know, uh, not to get too much into it, but I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening to me, uh, over these last seven months. Uh, you know, this is really my first serious podcast experience. I had been a guest on podcasts before, but I had never, uh, you know, I, I'd never been a host. I I'd never even been a co-host. So this was really me learning on the fly. And I, I just can't thank you all enough for, for listening, uh, for subscribing, for reviewing, for buying the merch when, when, you know, I tweeted out, um, just all that stuff. Like I, I really, really appreciate it. And, you know, honestly, I I've been stopped more in person for my podcasting than my writing. And that that's, a, that's a little weird for me because, you know, I'm, I'm writing multiple times a week and, and that's my primary source of income and, and my primary job. But, um, you know, you guys listening to this podcast, you know, the, those that do listen, like you, you've really, uh, I think connected with, um, you know, what, what I've tried to provide and just in terms of insight and analysis and uh, interesting podcast topics and, and having interesting guests on uh, within the Clippers ecosystem and, and the NBA ecosystem and, and even guests, you know, uh, kind of outside of that bubble, um, you know, someone like Jack Appleby, who is a good friend of mine, but also someone who is more in the digital uh, advertising and, and marketing space. But, you know, we, we had a fun conversation on, on the Clippers potential rebrand and I, I just want to say to everybody, um, you know, I, I couldn't have done this without you, uh, you know, so I, I really want to say thank you for those who are not subscribed to The Athletic and, um, you know, but but are subscribed to this podcast, you know, I, I hope you will at least entertain the the notion of checking out The Athletic, even for the one week free trial, uh, just, just give it a look. And if you don't like it, if it's not for you, um, you know, no worries. Uh, you know, I apologize for the people that I'm going to be losing because I'm going to be 
uh, going partially to some extent behind a paywall. I think they're still figuring out kind of the process, but I, I think some podcasts will be in front of the paywall, some won't. Um, but I, I just want to say, you know, to, to those that I will lose, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to lose you. I really appreciate your, your listenership. Uh, but to those that are going to, you know, already subscribe to The Athletic or going to subscribe because I'm moving there, uh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Um, if you guys have any questions about uh, The Athletic or subscriptions or anything, please hit me on on Twitter, Instagram, at Yovan Buha, or you can email me at Yovan Buha um, at gmail.com. Probably shouldn't have given my, my personal email address, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, you know, this is a quick detour uh, before the episode starts, but I just want to be upfront with you guys that, um, you know, th- this was an inevitability when I originally signed with, with Blue Wire. We had, you know, it was in my contract that, uh, you know, eventually I was going to switch to The Athletic whenever The Athletic launched its NBA podcast network. Um, I wasn't sure if that was going to be last postseason or sometime in the summer or, or, you know, in the beginning of the fall or right before the season or what. But once I got word that it was going to be early October uh, that we were going to be launching the podcast network, um, you know, I, I just felt it, it was time to kind of have that conversation with Blue Wire. And, um, you know, last but most importantly, not least, you know, it, it is the most important. Um, you know, I, I want to say thank you to Kevin Jones, uh, Greg, um, you know, Russ Preston, um, everyone with Blue Wire. You know, Blue Wire, it, it's been an amazing experience. I, I can't say enough things. Um, you know, I'm currently in the process of helping them find a, a, Clippers, uh, you know, a new Clippers host to replace me, um, won't replace, you know, will be a new podcast, you know, new podcast name and everything. But, um, you know, I, I just can't say enough good things about blue wire and how big of a fan I am of, of, you know, everything they're doing, everything they're going to do. Um, you know, I, I really think that the, the sky's the limit for this network. Um, you know, just, just even comparing it to other networks and what other people are doing and, I, I just think, you know, Kevin has a, a great vision for this product um, and, and for this this network. And I, I just, you know, I really think that, I you know, my personal thoughts, I, I think they're they're eventually going to be, uh, you know, acquired by someone for, for a lot of money. And, and they're going to be, you know, a, a big time uh, network. I think it's it's already in the process of, of kind of establishing that. And we have, you know, several podcasts that are really killing it right now. But uh, you know, I think overall, like the, the, just the future is very bright for Blue Wire. Um, I'm, I'm very happy and proud to have been a part of the beginning of its NBA expansion and, and you know, to have been here for seven months. So, uh, you know, look, I, I have nothing but, you know, I think we're leaving on great terms. Um, you know, I, I'm a fan of, of the network. I'm a fan of everyone I, I've, you know, worked with over these last seven months. And, um, you know, it is very bittersweet. It, you know, it's very bitter because, Again, you know, I'm, I've grown attached to Blue Wire. I've grown attached to having this podcast on that platform. Um, you know, it's it's really been one of the highlights, not only of of my you know everyday workday, but uh, of my career having this podcast and um, just be, having this outlet to express my thoughts and expand on different things I'm writing or thinking about writing, and uh, just have being able to interview people, have cool guests on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know, just really love doing this. Um, and you know, the, the, the sweet aspect is I'm excited to transition to the athletic and, you know, th- that's been my employer for the last 14 months and will be for, um, you know, the, the foreseeable future. So, you know, I, I am excited about the direction we're going with the athletic and, you know, expanding into podcasting, expanding into video and, and all that different stuff. But, you know, it, it's a very weird emotional feeling right now, um, Again, thank you to everyone that's been listening, um, that's reached out to me, emailed me, tweeted at me, hit me on Instagram, you know, retweeted my my podcast, shared it on your Instagram story. Like, thank you so much. Uh, I, I really genuinely appreciate it. It has not gone unnoticed. I've, I've tried to respond to everybody. Uh, if I haven't, res- you know, if I've missed a, a response here or there, I, I, I do apologize. And again, I apologize that, you know, I will be transitioning from a free subscription and, and consumption model to a paid, you know, subscribe version. Uh, but again, uh, you know, those who are already subscribed, I, I hope that I will bring you the same level of, of quality um, uh, podcasting that I've 
you know, been bringing for the last seven months. And, and, you know, I actually, you know, hope to continue to improve. I think I've gotten better over these seven months, you know, listening to some of my earlier podcasts. Uh, I, I think now I just have a better control of the mic and, and confidence and, and just sort of ease with everything versus being a lot more rigid and kind of just timid and, and sort of overthinking everything in, in the beginning. So really, again, uh, I can't say thank you enough. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're going to transition to the athletic with me, I appreciate it. If you're not, uh, I still appreciate you listening and following along for these last seven months. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast topic, which I, I struggle with this one because for my last podcast, I was like, you know, am I, am I going to go down memory lane and then go over my favorite podcast moments and, and kind of different things we've talked about, um, you know, crack some Avery Bradley jokes. Uh, I'm not really sure, but I think for me, um, I want to talk about something I just wrote, which is uh, an article for The Athletic called One Burning Question for Each Clippers Player Going to the 2019-20 Season. And the the theme of this article was basically, you know, the summer's over, media day's around the corner, uh, the Clippers are going to play a preseason game less than a month, opening night is uh, just, you know, six weeks away. And I think it's time, you know, right after the Kawhi and Paul George stuff, I did five overarching questions that I felt would determine the season. But with the Patrick Patterson edition, I think it's time to get into some of the more player-specific storylines and questions, look at what I think the main topic and, and theme will be for each player and how that will impact not only that player season, but the Clippers season overall. And for me, you know, obviously, uh, no surprise here. The most interesting guy is Kawhi Leonard uh, on this roster, and that's where we'll start. My question for Kawhi Leonard is how much will he rest? And, you know, load management became popular last season. Uh, We've already talked about it before in this podcast. Like, it is this kind of, it's just kind of looming over the Clipper season because you have Paul George coming back from his shoulder surgery, which, you know, he, he was recently practicing at the Clippers facility. Um, from my understanding, that actually isn't changing his timetable. His timetable is still kind of the sort of like late October into November timetable. But, um, you know, like his health looms over the Clipper season, but so does Kawhi Leonard's. And, you know, Kawhi last season rested 22 games the Raptors were deep enough and fortunate enough to go 17 and five during those 22 games. I'm not as optimistic that the Clippers would go 17 and five if Kawhi Leonard rested 22 games. I, I mean, I, it would depend on the games and is Paul George playing? Is he not playing? Like, there are a lot of factors that would go into that. But you know, just off the top of my head, I, I see it more realistically like a 15 and seven, a 14 and eight, something like it's hard to go 17 and five without your best player especially with all the uncertainty surrounding Paul George and his return. So to me, with Kawhi, the, the, the most interesting thing heading into the season and probably will be the most interesting thing you know, just around his year is how much does he rest? And you know, how much does he rest? Is it back-to-backs? Is it you know, just intense pockets of the schedule where maybe it's like you know, you know, four, four games in, in six days or, or um, you know, just an intense road trip or... Uh, you know, whatever it is, if there are, you know, these these kind of crazy parts of the schedule, does he rest those? Because he said at his introductory press conference that he was planning on playing every game. You know, he's going to take it day by day. So there was some room for uh, improvisation, you know, for, for him to rest, really, to kind of get out of it. But he did kind of hint like, yeah, I'm going to go and, you know, last season I wasn't healthy. So we, you know, kind of devised this schedule for me to maximize my health. This season, I'm feeling great, feeling healthy, so it's not going to be the same. I just don't know if I buy that, though. It, you know, I, I just think about it. I'm like, it, like Kawhi isn't going to come out and say, "Yeah, I'm resting twenty, you know, twenty games next season." Like that, that wouldn't make sense. So, to me, I, I do think that he's going to rest at least five to ten games, and it, you know, wouldn't surprise me if it's closer to like fifteen. Uh, so it, it just kind of depends for me. I'm very interested in, you know, what games is he resting? Uh, how does Paul George's absence and return 
affect that? You know, do, does he hold off? You know, does he kind of backload the rest where, okay, well, if Paul George misses the first month of the season, I'm not going to rest any of those games, or maybe I'll rest one or, or two, and then I'll rest the other eight, 10, 12 games, you know, th- December through March or, or something like that. So I'm very interested in the rest. I think that th- there's a lot at stake for the Clippers, you know, because the, of the delicacy of their two stars. Um, there's a chance that they end up being a lower seed than you would think. Like on paper, this is, in my opinion, best team in the league, 60 plus wins. Like if they're fully healthy, um, you know, I think they run away with with best record in the league, even being in the West. I just don't think that, you know, I think Paul George is going to miss a few weeks at, at least to start the season. I think Kawhi Leonard is going to rest anywhere from 10 to 20 games. Uh, you know, I, I think that they have some other aging guys in, in the rotation, you know, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, uh, you know, guys who might have to have their minutes reduced. Uh, Mo Harkless and, and Rodney Magruder kind of have some some injury history. Uh, Avica Zubats and, and Trez and, and Jamichael Green, you know, uh, Jamichael kind of ha- has a bit of an injury history, but those three guys are so important to this team where if any one of those three goes down, you know, as the primary three big men, if any of those three goes down, that will really hurt this team. And now you're, you know, now you're relying on Fondu Cabangele, a, a rookie big man, or you're relying on Patrick Patterson, a guy who was not a rotation level player last season and was barely one two years ago. And you just don't, you know, at 30 years old, you don't know if he gets that back. So that's where, you know, and now I'm going off on a little bit on a tangent here, but that's where I think a guy like Joakim Noah, who the Clippers have been recently linked to, um, you know, kind of makes a lot of sense where if Zubats goes down, okay, well now you could plug in Joakim Noah as the starter for 15 minutes a night, 18 minutes a night, Rest of the time, go with Trez, go with Jermichael, maybe go with Fee for a little bit. Um, you know, Trez goes down. Well, now Joakim Noah's the backup center, or, you know, Jermichael's playing more there, but Joakim's still getting, you know, 10, 12 minutes a night. Like, I just think the Clippers do need an, another center. I don't think Patrick Patterson addresses some of those needs. And um, again, you know, I, I think that, but this is kind of the domino of Kawhi's resting uh, is, you know, like the, the Clippers. Their margin for error, I think, is a lot smaller in the regular season than many would think, based on their, you know, their kind of status as the favorite right now uh, across the league. Um, you know, I, I do think they're the favorite. I do think that they don't they don't need to be a top two seed to to win a championship. But once you start getting into that three, four, five range, it is statistically less likely you're going to make the finals because of how hard your path is going to be because of potentially having to win two series on the road just to get to the finals so for the clippers it's it's just a very delicate balance of how much do you rest Kawhi versus and value his health versus how much do you kind of try to push him to play through it and, and really value the regular season because you know the clippers cannot just throw away the regular season win 50 games be the five or six seed and think they're just going to make the finals because that that historically just rarely happens you know, it, it could happen. Uh, I, you know, I, again, I'm probably going to, you know, pick them to be the favorite in every series they play in the postseason, uh, even without home court advantage. Uh, I, I just think that there is a lot of risk in kind of punting on the regular season and just saying, hey, we'll figure it out in the postseason. And that's not necessarily what they're doing, but I do think that, you know, they have to be diligent with Kawhi and, and in terms of just sort of guiding him with the look at the end of the day, he's a superstar. He's going to rest as much as he wants to rest. And I'm sure that was something that was brought up in in the pitch meetings and and negotiated. And like, you know, he has carte blanche to rest as much as he wants. It's his body. And, you know, he, he is arguably the best player in the league and the Clippers are going to do what he wants. But I do think that there needs to be a a healthy kind of dynamic there where the Clippers need to value the regular season. I, I think, you know, too much we 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 do like i'm totally pro rest i'm totally pro like guys taking care of themselves and prioritizing their long-term health over everything else i just also think at the same time like you can never punt on the regular season if you punt on the regular season it will come back to haunt you we've seen it time and time again where even houston last season you know not that they punted necessarily but like you you get the wrong seed and and you play golden state in round two and, and look what happens i think if houston had been on the other side of the bracket 
they would have made the conference finals and they potentially could have beaten a then depleted Golden State Warriors team. But because they caught them in the second round, because the Warriors, you know, still had Kevin Durant for most of that series, the Warriors won the series. So I, I think for the Clippers moving forward, it's going to be a very interesting kind of storyline of, of load management. What happens with Kawhi? Does Paul George implement any of that? And uh, I just think it, it's going to be very fascinating to see how that all plays out. Uh, speaking of Paul George, he is the number two most interesting guy for me on this roster. And I think the question with Paul is, when is he back and how long until he returns to form? So, yes, I cheated. <laughs> there, there's two questions there, but you know, Paul's recovery doesn't stop the second he steps back on the court. Like he's already on the court practicing a bit, getting shots up. Um, but you know, he, he still might not be back for another month or two. And, you know, it just takes time to come back from these types of things, especially, you know, if you have an injury that keeps you out six plus months, especially one that prevents you from shooting and, and using your arms that much, like that is going to take, you know, some additional time to, to return to form. And we still don't know when Paul's going to be back. You know, it, it does sound like at the earliest, that would be like a mid to late October, which would bring him right to the beginning of the season. But again, that's probably on the most optimistic side. Um, but he, look, he's going to have to get back his, you know, just his flow, his, his shooting stroke, his, his ball handling, all that stuff. Like, you know, th- there is kind of a a flow players get into from practicing a lot, from playing pickup a lot. Like, you just get into a rhythm that I think Paul is going to, you know, he's talented enough where he could probably just come out and still drop 25, 30 a night and, and be fine. But, you know, for most guys, it does take some type of time to get that rhythm back. And, but most importantly, he's going to have to develop chemistry with his teammates. And that's something that you can't simulate. You don't get just by sitting next to somebody in the locker room or on the plane or on the bus. Like, you have to actually play, get those on-court reps with guys. So, for Paul, like the Clippers don't practice a lot. Doc Rivers has been very anti-practice, um, you know, throughout his, his career, which actually is a good thing because you know he, he's almost opposite of Tibbs in that way, uh, where you know he's not going to put the you know put you through the pressure cooker in practice because that does take a toll on guys, and and that you know if if cutting back on practice means a guy can play in a game, I, I think you take that trade off all the time. So. Like Paul is going to have to get these reps most likely in games. And that is a process that could take multiple games, if not multiple weeks. So I just think that, you know, from the the Paul George perspective, we don't know when he's going to be back. You know, it could, again, it could be a few weeks into the season. And even when he's back, we, it's going to take probably at least in the, in the most, again, most like optimistic point of view, probably like two weeks for him to get his rhythm back, start developing chemistry with the guys and really start clicking. So yeah, let's say he comes back late October, early November. It's probably not going to be till mid-November that he really feels comfortable with the team. So I just think that you know when we're talking about Paul, this is going to be a bit of a long, dragged-out process. You know, We might not see the Clippers really looking like the Clippers until December, maybe even until Christmas. Um, so they kind of sort of stick out to me as a team that – could be maybe off to a slower start than people expect. Maybe a team that people start panicking on. Uh, again, it's you know a lot of it's going to come down to Kawhi and is he still resting in the beginning of the season? Because if, if he rests while Paul George is out, this team, you know, it's basically last season's team minus Shea and Gallo, uh, which is not a playoff team. Like the you know you know for as as deep as as deep and versatile and interchangeable as last season's team was. You know, Gallo was their best player, and Shea was somewhere like fourth or fifth. You lose two of your five best players on a team that was an eight seed. Um, you know, and and you know did push the Warriors to six games, but like you lose two of your best five players, that's like a thirty to thirty five win team. And I, I just think that you know, again, you know, without Kawhi and Paul George, like this team is is going to be decent, but they're not going to be that good. So you know, if Kawhi does rest while Paul's out. I expect them to lose most of those games unless they're playing like the Hornets or the Cavs or, or you know something like that. So I'm just interested to see um, you know with, with Paul, when is he back? What does he look like? How long is it you know how long does it take him to get back? And how long does it take him to return to form? I think those are two separate uh, topics. And you know that that to me, you know those two storylines are going to dominate the Clippers season, right? Because everyone else here 
is either been there before, you know, Lou Williams, Trez, Jamichael, Landry, Pat, um, or, you know, some of the new newcomers are interesting. I just wrote about them for The Athletic, but, you know, Mo Harkless, Rodney Magruder, Pat Patterson, like they're not moving the needle that much. But the guys everyone cares about are Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And I think these are the two dominant storylines that we're going to be talking about all season. Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. There's only one problem. Guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally or measure yourself at home and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Clip City listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just $369 plus free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know that you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet's going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, moving on down the list. My third guy that I'm most interested in uh, heading into next season is Lou Williams. And Lou, to me, this is a storyline that I haven't really seen a lot of people talk about. But with Lou, I think the most interesting thing is, can he accept and adjust to a smaller role? And what do I mean by that? Well, for me, it's hard to imagine a reality in which Lou has the same role you know, the same shots, points, field goal attempts, usage, et cetera, that he's had over the past two seasons with the Clippers. Um, you know, in both in both seasons, both instances, you know, the, the Clippers quote unquote best player, first Blake Griffin, then Tobias Harris, uh, was traded at the trade deadline. And that gave Lou Williams a new role within the team. Like he went from super sub, six man to actual go to number one guy on the roster. Now it's debatable. Last season, if it was Gallo, who was the number one guy, or Lou, but Lou averaged more points, had more shots, you know, really was the closer. So I, I would give it to Lou uh, in terms of who was probably, you know, more the go-to guy. I would say Gallo was the better player and, and their best overall player, but Lou kind of became that that number one guy. And I just don't see any scenario in which he's the number one guy on this roster. And, I, you know, I almost... I view him closer to the, you know, not only is he not going to be number one and he's not going to be number two because that's going to be in Kawhi and PG in some order, probably Kawhi one, PG two, but who knows? Maybe PG gets more shots and points. Like we'll see how that plays out. But those are the clear cut, you know, two top two guys. I actually think Lou's going to be closer to number four than number three. Uh, you know, it would not surprise me if he's number three and the number four is like Trez or, or Landry um, maybe Jamichael Green, uh, depending on how well he shoots and, and plays. But I just think that Lou, you know, the gap between number two and Lou at number three is going to be much bigger than the gap between Lou at three and whoever's number four in terms of the offensive pecking order. I think he's going to see a decrease in minutes. I think he's going to see a decrease in points, shots, uh, just how much he has the ball. And, uh, you know, I, I think one thing that not many people are talking about either is 
I think there's a chance Lou doesn't close games uh, all the time. Like last season, he was one of the best closers in the league. Uh, you know, he was really the offense at the end of games, but he's now again number three behind Kawhi and Paul George, two guys who are more efficient, uh, bigger, better scorers, more proven, uh, you know, resumes and, and track records. And I, I just think that you know if the Clippers needed Lou so badly last season and even the season before that because of his you know elite ability to shot create and and even if they weren't the most efficient shots he could at least get reasonable shots off make tough shots um and, and you know was a clutch performer but that kind of glossed over his, his defensive limitations and the fact that he's such a defensive liability that teams really pick on especially late in games but now that the Clippers have two guys who are going to have the ball in their hands more, who are going to be taking those shots, who are going to be scoring those points, Lou's shot creation is actually less valuable. What the Clippers need more are guys like Patrick Beverly and Landry Shamit, guys who are more defensive-minded. Obviously, Pat is an all-defensive caliber guy. Uh, Landry, I think, showed in the playoffs that he's a better defender than any of us knew he was uh, with his ability to defend uh, Steph Curry. And, but, but then offensively, neither guy needs the ball. They're both elite spot up shooters. You know, Pat shot over 40%, uh, you know, from beyond the arc last season. Uh, Landry obviously established himself as a top 10 three point shooter in the league and, and really JJ Redick light, but you know, who knows? He, he might even surpass JJ soon. And I, I just think that, you know, those types of guys are the guys you want around Kawhi and Paul George. You don't want a guy like Lou, who's still a, you know, a good shooter, a, a, you know, a, a respectable shooter. But Lou needs the ball, and you know you, you don't you don't really want three guys who need the ball necessarily, and and that's where and people might bring up Golden State because they really had four guys who need the ball. But the difference with Golden State, uh, you know, w- when they had Durant, even with or without Durant, even without Durant, they still had three guys who needed the ball. But like Steph and Clay are probably the two best shooters of all time. And Kevin Durant is probably in is a top 15, if not top 10 shooter of all time. So like when you have that level of shooting and that level of gravity and, and floor spacing, like it's okay to have guys who want the ball uh, if they can stretch a defense out that well and, and make a defense pay for leaving them. The Clippers, you know, Lou Williams is not that level of a shooter, you know, so th- I, he, he does not justify uh, being out there with his defensive limit. And all those guys also on the Warriors were really good defenders. Like Clay Thompson, all defensive uh, caliber guy. Draymond Green, defensive player of the year. Uh, Steph Curry, a much better defender. You know, I-, I would honestly say an above average defender at the point guard position. Uh, you know, not by much, but, you know, average to slightly above average at, at point guard. And, you know, Kevin Durant, uh, not always the most engaged defender, but when Kevin Durant was engaged, he was an all defense caliber uh, defender. So, like, and all those guys are big, you know, with this, even Steph, you know, six, three with long arms, you know, clay six, seven, Draymond six, seven, uh, you know, Kevin Durant, six, 10, six, 11, whatever he is. So like Lou is six foot one. And I, I just think that with, with Lou, there are a lot of defensive concerns and, you know, he, he showed at times in the playoffs, like he will battle you in the post. If you're trying to post him up, you know, he got some steals, he got some deflections, uh, you know, tipping away passes, but for the most part, teams are going to run him through the pick and roll. They're going to post him up. They're going to run him through floppy actions uh, along the baseline. Like teams are going to target him. It is in their game plan, and the Clippers know this. And I, I just wonder if they go with the safer bet in Landry or Pat, guys who don't need the ball, guys who can space the floor, and guys who defensively are going to put up a better fight than Lou Williams. So I'm, I'm just curious how Lou handles that. I'm curious if it affects him at all going from. You know, back to back six time of the year award winner, um, you know, a borderline all star for a couple of seasons to really, I think, a more subdued six man of the year. Um, you know, st- would not surprise me if he wins it again. Um, I don't think he will, but would not surprise me. I, I just think that there's, you know, hit, he's not going to be averaging 22 points a game, 20 points a game. Like it's going to be closer, in my opinion, like 14 and a half to like 16 points a game. Like that's going to be more of the range for Lou. Uh, next season if i'm wrong i'll eat crow you know remind me on on twitter in in april but uh that's just my opinion heading into the season on lou williams um next up is landry shamit 
My question for Landry is, is he ready for an increased share of ball handling duties? Uh, the Clippers don't have a traditional point guard on the roster similar to last season. So again, the ball handling and playmaking duties will be by committee. Uh, it's going to be split up. You know, you obviously have Kawhi and, and Paul who are ball dominant wings who uh, I think both have improved their dribbling and passing uh, and are going to handle most of the load. You also have Pat and Lou who aren't really prototypical point guards, but you know, Pat's basically a three and D point guard. I think he's an underrated penetrator and facilitator. Uh, and then you have Lou who has really come into his own as a playmaker with the Clippers uh, running that second unit basically as the point guard more than the shooting guard. So I, I think really, but you know, with those four people, the Clippers should be fine. But this brings up Landry because you know Landry, I, I think, is actually the biggest beneficiary of the Clippers not adding Jeremy Lin or another point guard in for agency because Landry played point guard at Wichita State. Um, you know, that was his more natural position, but he became basically JJ Redick light, JJ Redick 2.0, whatever you want to call him in Philly, because that's the role Philly had him in. And that's the role that a lot of NBA teams actually had for him, where they envisioned him more because of his shooting, you know, switching more to the two, uh, you know, running baseline action, spotting up, uh, catch and shoot, all that stuff. Uh, so for Landry, you know, one thing the Clippers coaching staff told him to work on for, for next season is his ball handling and playmaking. He's going to have the ball in his hands more. He's going to run some point guard. Um, you know, that, that's something that you could see potentially with the second unit if he comes off the bench where, you know, he's more the point guard and Lou goes, goes back to more of a, a shooting guard role. But, you know, Landry has already shown he's an elite shooter. He's better defensively than, uh, you know, than people give him credit for. If he can, you know, kind of rekindle that lead guard mentality and, and ability, um, I think that there's a chance he could start over Pat at point guard. I think there's a chance he could close games over Pat because, um, you know, or at least Lou, because, you know, Pat, yes, his defense is going to be important and so is his shooting, but Landry is just such a special shooter that you really want Landry, I think, around Kawhi and Paul George. Like that is the perfect guy, at least offensively, to have around those guys because he's such a good shooter that you cannot leave. Like even Pat, you know, Pat overall was a really good shooter last season, but I, I think he was, he, he's just, he's not as good of a shooter as Landry and he's a little less consistent where like there'll, there'll be nights, Pat struggles will go like one for seven, you know, two for nine, whatever. Landry was w- much more consistent where he's not always going to have, like he does have his offensive explosions here or there, but like for the most part, Landry's very selective w- with his shot. He's confident, but he's selective. He doesn't really take bad shots. And I just think you 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 know the baseline level of Landry is higher than the baseline level of Pat offensively. So if Landry does add you know more ball handling, uh, you know running actions, uh, you know driving and kicking, uh, driving and dishing to to rolling bigs, cutting bigs, like all that type of stuff, I think it's just gonna make him even more valuable to this team and, and you know just increase his role. And, and I think again as to something I mentioned earlier, like with Pat and Lou being older. I think Landry can benefit and actually get more minutes than people think he's going to get uh, just because, you know, I think the Clippers would be smart to limit the minutes of, of Pat and Lou somewhere into that 24 to 27 range. You don't really want those guys playing more than that with a potential run into June. You want to save those guys for the playoffs. So Landry, I could see being someone who plays like 28 to 32 minutes, even with a deeper team, just because he's younger, it's going to be in a second season. And if he can run point guard, uh, I think the Clippers are going to, you know, should y- use him as, as much as possible. So uh, next guy on the list is Montrez Harrell. And my question for Trez is, can he hang defensively against the game's best big men? Uh, you know, we know Trez is the de facto closing center. You know, Doc closed with him basically all of last season over Marcin Gortat, over Avica Zubats, over Boban Marjanovic, over Jermichael Green. Like Trez was the the closing center. But that means he's going to have to defend, you know, with the Clippers having championship expectations and ambitions, Trez is going to have to defend Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert, Brooke Lopez. Like those are the top big men on the top teams, you know, the Lakers, the Sixers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the the Bucks. Like th- those to me are probably the, the top teams other than uh, a healthy Warriors team. And that's, that's going to be a lot of pressure defensively on Montrezl Harrell. Like, we know how good he is offensively. He, he's proven it the past two seasons. He's a beast on the block. He's, he's a beast in the pick and roll. 
Um, you know, he, he's pretty much unstoppable, barring like a Gobert type, you know, behemoth defending him with just like, you know, huge body, long arms, like all that shit. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, like, I just, Trez, you know, Trez has shown he could basically score on anybody. But, um, you know, defensively, there are questions with him. He's a six foot eight center and he struggles to defend uh, sometimes on the block to, to rotate and protect the rim, to box out, to stay out of foul trouble. So, you know, Trez, I, I think is better. You know, there's some people that bash his defense and I don't think he's a bad defender. Um, I think he's closer to, to around average. Really kind of depends on the night. Sometimes he, he's not that good, but sometimes he, he's, you know, decent, respectable. Um, so I, I'm just interested to see how he how he handled you know how he improves defensively because you know i've already written about it like he's he's expanding his range he's going to be playing more on the perimeter offensively uh but you know trez is the clippers best big man uh as of right now you know until we see what zubats looks like what jamichael green looks like like trez is their best big and for him not to be out there potentially at at the end of games because of his defense because of his rebounding i think will hurt the clippers and lower their ceiling uh so I, you know, for me, I'm very interested to see, uh, you know, what Trez, um, you know, what, what he looks like defensively against, in, in, you know, just raised stakes. The, the Clipper, he hasn't really played in, in the raised stakes of, you know, conference finals or bust, finals or bust, championship or bust. I'm interested to see what what Trez looks like uh, in, in that context. Uh, next guy is Patrick Beverly. And this one's pretty straightforward. It's just, can he preserve last season's camaraderie and culture? We know Pat's the unquestioned leader of the Clippers locker room. Last season, there were no stars. This was a rallying cry. This is something I've written about. Like the Clippers rallied around being this starless locker room with a bunch of blue chip. Oh, uh, I mean, with no blue chip guys, you know, with blue collar guys and, and, you know, guys who were second round picks, guys who went undrafted, guys who've been traded multiple times, like even Tobias Harris, who, you know, was, uh, you know, was a, I think the 15th pick, like, you know, a guy who was on the cusp of stardom and, and you know, a fringe all-star. Like, this is a guy who's been traded four or five times. Like, the, you know, the whole locker room had been given up on. You know, Danilo Gallinari, um, many people writing him off and and go on and on the list. Like, you know, Montrezl Harrell was a throw-in in the Chris Paul trade. You know, Pat Beverly wasn't drafted or, you know, uh, drafted at, at the end of the second round and then, you know, passed around. You know, Lakers didn't want him. Heat didn't want him. Had to go to Ukraine. Like, uh, you know, Pat, we know Pat's story. Lou Williams, everyone's written him off as oh, he's just a bench scorer. Uh, you know, Jermichael Green, kind of just also thrown in by Memphis in, in that trade, and it's just on and on and on. We, we you know, Landry Shamit, like you know, late first round pick and not really given a chance, and until some things broke his way in Philly. So on and on down the list, like the the Clippers had this identity, and that's not really the case anymore. Like, yes, they still have a lot of those. You know, they still have Lou, they still have Trez, they still have Pat, they still have Jermichael, they still have you know, they call themselves dogs. So they still have those dogs, right? Like they, they still have that mentality, but they, you know, the target's on their back now. You know, they're the Vegas favorites. They have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They have two top 10 guys, two all NBA guys. They can't say they're these underdogs now. They can't say that they um, are starless. They, they can't say they don't have talent. No one believes in them. Most people think they're the best team in the league. Most people are picking them to win the championship. So that mentality has to shift to some extent. Now, Pat's always going to be Pat. He's not going to, you know, start believing, you know, buying into certain narratives and be, you know, oh, you know, every, we're, we're the great, blah, 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 all this stuff. Like, Pat's always going to be Pat. But I think the challenge is getting everyone else to stay who they are and and really just, you know, kind of keep that blue-collar mentality. And, again, I don't necessarily see Pat or Lou or Trez or Jamichael kind of changing who they are. But I think the, the, the challenge for Pat is really creating a new identity for the locker room that that fits with having two stars because you know it, it, for as good as as Kawhi and, and Paul George are as, as great as they are you know they're it's not like they're the most blue collar guys like like yes Kawhi isn't about the stardom and and Paul isn't as much either and like there are some mutual qualities but they're not underdog guys like both guys you know have been stars now for five plus years um, you know it, it's just. I, I just think there there's that challenge for Pat of really figuring out what is the identity of this team now, what is the identity of the locker room, the culture, and you know h- how do I kind of fester that 
and and, and sort of you know just cultivate a, a new identity, even if it's just slightly different. It's not going to be the same exact identity as last season because they can't claim they're underdogs. They can't claim they don't have stars. That has changed. Uh, next up is Avita Zubats. This is a pretty short one. It's just, is he the center of the future? The Clippers invested in him this summer. They gave him a four-year, $28 million deal. Uh, that means that doesn't mean they're committing to him being their starting center. Um, by my unofficial count, there are 29 centers that will make more money. So Zubats is basically paid as the lowest starting center in the league or maybe the best backup. And uh, you know that's kind of, I guess, how you could view him as a lower-end starter or a really good backup. Um, but you know, it doesn't. So again, it doesn't mean that they're committing to him being their starting center by by giving him that money. But it does mean they view him as a long-term piece. Like, yes, I think his contract is tradable if they really want to trade him. But the Clippers are saying, "Hey, Avitza, we want you on this roster for the next four years, or at least the next two or three, and we view you." Maybe not as our starting center, but at least in the rotation, you know, p- paying him seven million a season is a pretty good amount of money. You know, it's not it's not a ridiculous contract. I don't think there's any way they end up regretting this uh, deal, but I do think it shows like, you know, Zubots is someone they want and is someone they value, and and again, at the very least, is a valuable contract they can flip. Uh, but his play this season, you know, is he gonna is he a starter? It, you know, and, and I think he's going to start, but it, you know, is he, does he mesh with the starters? Is he a starter level player or does the team need to find a replacement and move him to the bench? You know, how does that affect the future of Montrose Harrell and Jermichael Green, two impending free agents? Yeah. You know, is, is Avica so good that they don't need both of those guys or, or one of those guys, or, you know, is, is he just kind of okay? And they feel like they got to keep both of them or, or at least one of them. Um, so Zubats is, you know, play this season is not just going to affect his future with the team and, and just co- kind of like his role of is he a starter is he coming off the bench what's what's happening it's going to affect the futures of Montrez Harrell and Jermichael Green because I, I really think that depending on how Zoo plays um, that will impact what happens with Jermichael and Trez in free agency uh, speaking of Jermichael my question for him is was last season's three-point shooting a fluke because Jermichael went from a decent, respectable, but inconsistent shooter with the Grizzlies to an elite shooter with the Clippers. Over his 24 regular season games, he shot 41.3%, which is elite. And his six playoff games against the Warriors, he shot 52.2%, which is elite, 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 like better than Steph Curry level. Obviously not on the, the same rate, same number of attempts, but like that is a, regardless, that is a, you know, especially on mainly spot up shooting, you know, catch and shoot threes, like that is, Kyle Korver, JJ Redick level, Clay Thompson, like that is an elite, elite level. So for me, I'm interested in, you know, does he keep that up? You know, was that just a fluke uh, of, you know, a blip on his his three point shooting? Um, Or, you know, is he legitimately that good? You know, 41% is high to especially stretch out over, you know, 100 plus games or, you know, somewhere around there if if the Clippers make the finals. Uh, But if he can shoot, 38, 39, 40%, somewhere in that range. Like he's going to be a very valuable piece. And, you know, Zoo's working on his range. Trez is working on his range. Both guys hope to implement three point shooting, which would just be nuts if the entire clip, because you already have Fondue Cavangeli who could shoot threes. You have Pat Patterson who could shoot threes. You have Jamichael who could shoot threes. If you add Trez and Zoo, that's literally the entire roster is potentially close to league average, if not better, at three point shooting, which You've probably never seen before. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another roster that's had every player be able to shoot threes. Um, so, look, Jermichael was huge in the playoffs. The Clippers had their best offensive rating, 119.0, with Jermichael on the court. So, offensively, you saw the value of putting him at the five, um, You know, having a five-out offense, his three-point shooting, how valuable that was for opening up passing lanes, driving lanes, um, you know, just penetration for the guards. That's very important. And I think, you know, as the most likely opening night starter next to Zubots at the four, uh, he's going to have to keep defenses honest with his three-point shooting. And doing it for 30 games is one thing. But again, doing it for, you know, close to 100 games um, in a season is another thing entirely. And I'm very intrigued to see how Jermichael, um, you know, responds to a potential starting role, you know, how he responds to more three-point looks 
and if he can hold up for the entirety of the season. All right, then next up is Mo Harkless. Uh, Mo is a sneaky addition. I'm just going to start off by saying that. Like, I think not enough people are talking about him. He's a starter, you know, a lower end starter, but starter level forward um, who the Clippers are going to have. It's probably their ninth guy uh, on this team. Like, I just think that really speaks to the the depth of this roster that Mo Harkless is going from being someone, you know, a, a 25 to 30 minute a night player uh, to to someone who's going to be probably playing 15 to 20 minutes a night and being like the ninth or 10th guy on this team. Uh, that just, you know, it, that to me is just shows the depth of this Clippers roster. But for Mo, my question is, can you step up when Kawhi and Paul George rest? Because, you know, if the starting lineup is what I think it's going to be, which is, Zubats, uh, Green, Leonard, George, and uh, Pat, with with Landry coming off the bench with uh, alongside Lou and Trez and and Mo. Um, I think the most obvious you know lineup change is to put Landry in whenever Kawhi or Paul George is out. So if you know, like to start the season, I think it's going to be Zubats, Green, Kawhi, Shamit. And Beverly, and and you know if Kawhi rests, it'll be Zubats, Green, George, Shamit, and Beverly. I mean that's going to be the normal starting lineup, and you know I, I think moving in Shamit is, you know that's kind of the the obvious move, but moving him in is obviously going to create a gap in the second unit, and I think that's where Mo will have to step up, play more minutes, you know, go from maybe eighteen to twenty minutes a night to twenty five to twenty eight on, on those nights Kawhi and Paul George are out. And he's going to have to step up as the other, you know, primary defensive wing stopper. I think he's already going to have that role to some extent um, with the second unit. And if he closes some games or, or whatever, like depending on the matchups, uh, you know, he, he's going to have that role to some extent. But you know, without a Kawhi or without a Paul George, he really will have to step up defensively and potentially close games. Um, you know, helping the other one on a team's best perimeter options. So for me, like he kind of is a swing guy for the Clippers, where. Um, you know, he's going to have to adjust to playing less, you know, go from start, you know, not or go from starting to, to coming off the bench, you know, playing a certain amount of minutes to playing fewer minutes, having less touches, even less touches than he already had in Portland. Uh, but, you know, so that's going to be its own adjustment. And, and some guys, you know, actually play worse when they play less. Um, but some guys also play better. So maybe Mo, you know, gets even, you know, shoots the ball better. Um, it's just more aggressive and, and, you know, tenacious in the minutes he's out there. And I think, you know, again, he really is a, a swing guy. Another swing guy for the Clippers is Rodney Magruder. For me, my question is, is there a spot in the rotation for him? And again, you know, if Mo is a sign of the depth, like so is Rodney, because, um, you know, he's probably the 10th guy in this team. And again, he might not even play that much. Like I, I went through the, the, you know, the depth charts, uh, you know, uh, of each team right now. I think he'd be a candidate. You know, I'm not saying he would start, but he'd be a candidate to start on at least 10 teams and be a prominent rotation player, like top eight, uh, top nine at the worst for another 10 to 15 teams. So like you're looking at maybe five teams in the league, including the Clippers where he's like the 10th man or worse. Um, so like to me, you know, the fact that Rodney's, I think barely gonna, you know, going to have some nights where he's playing five minutes, eight minutes, like that just shows again, how deep this roster is. Um, you know, he, he'll also be a guy who will have to step up when Kawhi or Paul George rests and, and he'll probably kind of shift more into Mo's role uh, as Mo shifts into a higher role, but you know, he's gonna have to bring it with his shooting, his defense, his energy. Um, and I think for, for Rodney, like, you know, especially his, his shooting and his defense, cause his shooting has been up and down You know, he's been in low thirties. He's, he's been in the low forties. Like he's kind of been all over the place with the shooting. If he can shoot the ball well and, and defend well, like I think he could potentially push Mo for that ninth spot in the rotation. If he doesn't, he's going to have Jerome Robinson and Terrence Mann right behind him, ready to step up and play uh, and kind of take that that role from him. So, you know, again, we'll see how those guys play and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But like that, that's kind of my feelings on Rodney where like, you know, he, he's sort of the, the final guy in the rotation that like, you know, Doc loves his, his two different lineups, 10-man rotation. To me right now, Rodney is the 10th guy. And after that, all these guys are barely going to be playing. So for Pat Patterson, my question is like, how much does he have left in the tank? Uh, it's a bit of a grim question, but like I just said earlier in this podcast, like he was not a rotation player last season. 
He barely was one in 2017-18. Um, you know, he he still can theoretically shoot the ball, but doesn't provide much else. Um, is a decent defender, but doesn't rebound the ball well. Uh, is a good ball mover, but I just don't really see a clear role for Pat unless he's shooting the lights out. Um, and I think there's a chance that the Clippers end up regretting not signing Joe Kim Noah if they don't sign him. Uh, because I think for, for looking at the roster, they need one more guy that's big, can protect the rim and rebound. Pat Patterson is is none of those things. He, he's not that big. He's only 6'9". Uh, he does not protect the rim. He's not that good of a rebounder. So I don't think he really helps. Like It's, it's always nice to have another shooter, but for me, Pat Patterson does not really um, kind of move the needle. Last three guys quickly. Jerome Robinson. My question is, what's his role? Is he a floor spacer? Is he a backup ball handler? Is he both? Is he neither? Um, I've stated this before, but I just think there are so many questions with Jerome. There, there are more questions than answers right now when trying to project his career. Like He came out of Boston College as an elite shooter. The Clippers reached for him in the lottery. Most people had him as a late first-round pick, if not early second-round pick. Clippers reached for him at 13 at the end of the lottery, and it was a bit of a risk. But they backed it up. They, they believed his shooting was good enough. They believed he fit well next to Shea. In a lot of ways, kind of projecting him as what Landry has become. And that didn't happen in, in his rookie season. You know, we, we know the, the injuries, but he did not shoot the ball well. Um, you know, my favorite the, or my least favorite player in the league is a, is a shooter who can't shoot. And that's kind of what Jerome was. You know, he was this guy who's billed as a shooter. But uh, I'm not looking at it right now, but I think he shot around 31, 32%, which is a pretty bad three-point percentage. Um, to his credit, he got better throughout the season and, and you know shot better in the playoffs. But you know he's shown these flashes of ball handling and creating for his teammates in the G League that has yet to really translate in the NBA. Uh, he was a bit disappointing in Summer League th- this summer where usually sophomores dominate in Summer League. He had that one really good game against the Wizards, but otherwise Jerome did not look good. I mean, he, you know, he reportedly got sick but like it just was kind of weird it, it, it you know it almost felt like the team was making excuses for his poor play and it just didn't play that well and you know it's too early to give up on a guy before his second season's even started i think you got to give jerome at least through next season before we make any judgments on him but as of right now it's not looking that good and but look like every team can use more shooting in its core lineups and the Clippers can, I think the Clippers can use another one in the second unit around that Lou Trez pick and roll. Like if, if Rodney is not shooting that well and Jerome is, maybe he's the 10th guy and he's kind of spacing the floor, you know, like him and, um, you, you know, him and, and Mo and, um, Lan, you know, him and Landry and Mo are kind of the, the floor spacers around Trez and Lou. Um, but he has to shoot the ball well, right? Like, Rodney Magruder and Mo Harkless were better three-point shooters than him last season, which if that's the case again, he's never going to play. So for for Jerome, there's a lot on the line in terms of proving he can shoot at a high level, proving he can be a secondary ball handler and handle the ball. And, um, you know, I think a lot is on the the line in terms of his future with the Clippers and and to a greater extent, his future in the league. Because if, you know, if the Clippers believed in him this much and and took the, the gamble and the risk of drafting him this high and he doesn't pan out, uh, you know, I'm sure guys in the lottery live off of being drafted in the lottery for a while. So I'm sure another team and maybe even a second team would take a chance on him, but it's never a good sign. Um, so final two here, Fondu Kamengele, can he be the third center? Uh, you know, much has been made about this roster center depth, as I've you know talked about now a couple of times throughout this podcast. Um, some, including me, you know, I've wondered why the Clippers haven't signed Noah. Uh, they're reportedly, or, or, you know, according to, an outlet in France um, who, who spoke with Yannick Noah, Joe Kim Noah's dad. They're, the Clippers are running him through a workout. Um, so who knows? Maybe they end up signing him. But to me, he's someone who could you know, play 8 to 12 minutes a night, be insurance for Zubats and, and Trez. Um, might even be the better option in certain si- situations where you need a cerebral defender. I think Noah's defense is better than – well, than Trez's for sure. Probably overall, Zubats is the better defender, but – Joakim Noah has always been a very cerebral guy, and I think that he's probably ahead of Zubats in, in that category uh, just because of his, his experience. Um, but the Clippers believe in their center rotation. like they, they believe they're fine. That's why they haven't signed Noah or another center. They think with, with Zubats and Trez and Jermichael and Fee, they're going to be fine. And 
with Fee, like they like the way he played in summer league. They like that he could shoot, rebound, and, and protect the rim. And I think there's a path for him to get some minutes. Like they, they, you know, he's a 22. They think he's ready to, for rotation minutes. And the Clippers took their own risk on this, where they flipped the Sixers' 2020 first round pick to the Nets for Calvin Gale. Uh, so they're confident he could play. And we'll see if they're right. You know, we'll, we'll see if he cracks the rotation. We'll see how he looks. But you know, it was a decision that was just about, you know, just as much for the future as it is for the present where, you know, yes, they like what Kevin Gelly could be in two, three, four years, but they also think right now he's, he's ready made. Like he's a, you know, similar to like Landry, you know, n- not to that level, but like Landry was a ready made guy who came into the league at, you know, 21. Like they think Kevin Gelly can do that. Um, and they think this next guy, the last guy on our list, Terrence Mann, uh, they think he can too. And, my question for Terrence is, will he fulfill Jerry West's prophecy? Because in late July, um, West predicted that man is going quote, going to, quote, play a lot, uh, end quote, by the end of the year and added that, quote, this guy is good, uh, end of quote. Look, the logo is the logo, right? Like he, he has, you know, he, he's one of the top 12, if not top 10 players of all time. Um, and he's... A, but he's been even better as an executive. Like he is arguably the best executive ever. Um, he has a you know a long history of identifying talent in places people don't see it. So for him to have that type of praise for Terrence Mann, that is you know that, that that's as good as it gets. If you're a guy like Terrence Mann, a, a late second round pick, a guy who most of the time late second round picks do do not make the NBA. If they do, it's for a few years. So for Terrence Mann to get that type of credit, that you know Jerry West is saying. This guy is going to contribute on a championship caliber team by the end of his rookie season. Like that is that is high praise. So, my opinion, I just don't see it, Um, and it's not because I don't like Terrence. I I, you know he impressed me the most. Like he was definitely the guy I was most impressed with at summer league. I I just think that because the Clippers have so many ball handlers and wings ahead of him, I just don't see Doc benching veterans for a rookie. Like, and you know the, the one thing with him is he's not a good shooter. So if he somehow becomes a respectable shooter and can kind of become like a better version of, of what Ty Wallace was supposed to be. I, I think there are some similarities with him and Ty. Um, like, I guess I can maybe see him edging out. It, it would not surprise me at all if he edges out Jerome Robinson, but like getting past Roddy Magruder or more Harkless, like, I don't know if I see that. Um, I mean, I guess the, the Clippers could go small and go like Trez, Mo, uh, you know, Terrence, Landry, and Lou, and have Terrence as the point guard, Lou and, and uh, Landry as like the the wings. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't really see it. You know, unfortunately, if he was on last season's team, I could see him just having a giant role and potentially even starting. But, uh, you know, being on this season's team, I, I just don't see like Doc benching veterans, um, especially veterans who could shoot the ball better, in some cases, defend better. Um, like he, I just don't see him passing Pat Beverly. I don't see him passing Landry Shamit. I don't see him passing Lou, obviously not Kawhi and Paul George. So now you're really looking at again, Jerome, Rodney or Mo, like, you know, Mo is six, nine Ter- Terrence can't compete with that defensively. Um, and, and Mo's a better shooter. Rodney, you know, is a better defender and shooter. Uh, Jerome, like, again, I could see him passing Jerome, but I, I just think that with, with Terrence, like, Anything he contributes next season is gravy. I think we're looking at like season two or season three for him when the Clippers might have lost a Lou Williams or a Pat Beverly or, or just some overall depth where that's where Terrence can really step up and, and be a rotation guy. Um, you know, you know, but to ask that of ne- you know from him for next season, it's a little premature in my opinion. But who knows? We'll see. Um, you know. The, the, <laughs> So that runs through the the fourteen guys, and um, you know I think there are a lot more questions I could probably come up with, um, but we're running here a little bit over an hour. Uh, I just wanted to say again to everybody, um, if if you skip through the first ten minutes of, of me talking about what's going on, um, again this is my last podcast um, for Clip City on Blue Wire. Clip City will be transferring over to the Athletics Podcast Network in early October. Um, again, I want to say thank you to Kevin, thank you to Greg, thank you to Russ, uh, thank you to Sam, thank you to everyone involved and associated with Blue Wire. Uh, it's been nothing but uh, a pleasure, nothing but a blast, nothing but fun 
working for this company, working for this network. Um, you know, I, I'm so excited for the future. I, I hope that I will get to work with, with Kevin and Greg uh, and, and Russ again in, in some capacity uh, down the road. But, um, you know, for, for now, uh, I'm going to be transitioning over to The Athletic. And uh, again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, you know, this is this is tough. You know, I, I, I really have loved the, the community we formed with, with Clip City. Again, just just the the tweets, the emails, the Instagram DMs, all that stuff. Um, you know, with this podcast, uh, you know, the reviews I've read them all. I, I really appreciate them all. And um, you know, if if you guys could do me one last favor, it, w- it would be to uh, subscribe to the Athletic. If you haven't subscribed already, at least check it out for the the one week free trial. Um, I will be starting, and you know, the the launch date isn't official yet, but it's going to be early October. So don't don't. Uh, subscribe now hoping to to you know listen to my podcasts um you know beforehand so uh you know i'll i guess i'll take a three or so week break off from podcasting until we launch our our network in um in early october but you know please that would be my only ask is is you know subscribe check it out give it a shot um if if you like my work as far as not just podcasting but writing like you know keep subscribing I, i really appreciate that if not I totally get it. And again, I apologize. Like, you know, I don't love the concept of, of building an audience and then going behind the paywall, um, you know, for, for podcasts, but some of the podcasts will remain outside the paywall. So I don't know if that's going to be one once a week or, you know, a couple times a month or, or how that dynamic is going to play out yet. But um, I really appreciate it. And I just want to, you know, again, hammer it home. Thank you guys so much. I, I, I can't thank you guys enough. And, um, you know, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do so for the price of a cup of coffee a month, uh, but also check out the one-week free trial. And last but not least, um, please check out the Blue Wire Network. Check out other podcasts. Uh, obviously, if you're a Clippers podcast, you're not going to have one for, for at least another couple of weeks, but they will be finding someone to replace me. There will be a new podcast name, um, so you should check that out. And also, you know, hopefully you will check out uh, my podcast, you know, continuing the Clip City podcast under the Athletic Podcast Network, under the Athletic Umbrella. Um, so again, heartfelt thank you. Thank you guys so much. If you're still listening at this point, over an hour in, um, you're a real one. And please feel free to reach out to me, Twitter, Instagram. I will respond. Um, and if, if you've been listening since day one or, you know, you know march april may whenever you've been listening since like thank you so much thank you thank you thank you been fed that's a fact i have been fed that's a fact my credit card purchases get me cash back my credit card purchases get me cash back no one else gets these rewards sergeant that is just plain untrue what in tarnation sir PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.